Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Muslims in Your Backyard podcast. I'm your host, Param Shamim. Thank you guys for joining me for another episode of today's podcast and for taking some time out of your day to listen to the podcast. As always, I appreciate the support. Uh, I apologize to begin at least if the audio sounds a bit weird. I had a cold last week and I'm still kind of feeling some of the side effects of that cold. Uh, so if the if kind of my voice sounds a bit weird, it's mainly because of that. Anyways, today's episode, I'll be focusing on the rising Islamophobia that exists within Canada. I guess maybe a better way to put that is the rise of recent Islamophobia trends within Canada. Uh, or, well, actually, a better better way of putting it is saying that uh, Islamophobia has always existed in Canada, but only now is it really being reported on in terms of the public media and by the police in a frequent manner that's now sort of putting this rising Islamophobia kind of on the forefront, when in reality, a lot of Muslims and many Muslim groups have been saying for years that Islamophobia uh, is an issue, yet we've pretty much been ignored. So just to make this a bit maybe easier, we're just going to say that there's rising Islamophobia. I felt that there's two main things that I wanted to focus on for today's episode. The first was to look at some statistics and some incidents of Islamophobia to really look at what we're kind of seeing and what's actually happening. And then on the second, uh, on sorry, the other hand, I wanted to then focus on why we must report Islamophobic hate crimes and government responses to Islamophobia. Because on one hand, it's important to look at sort of the analytical statistics and actually see what's happening. But on the other hand, it's also very important to actually look at what the responses to these rises of Islamophobia actually are. But before I get into that, I wanted to first touch on something uh, I think maybe we don't talk about enough when it comes to hate crimes, and that's uh, privilege. And privilege, I think, plays a big part in my own interpretation or, I guess, uh, viewing of Islamophobic attacks. And, you know, what I mean by privilege is sort of uh, these sort of uh, advantages or benefits that certain people within society have compared to others. And it really does apply, I think, to just me, but also to other people when it comes to Islamophobia, in that I, as a Muslim male who's brown, uh, I myself have, at least to my knowledge, I have never been the victim uh, of an Islamophobic hate crime. You know, I've never had anyone, you know, hate me because I was a Muslim. I've had people say Islamophobic things around me, but that was mainly in high school from a bunch of white kids. I mean, they were just being stupid and, you know, you don't really pay attention to that. But I mean, actual Islamophobia? No, I, I don't think I've ever actually faced that. And I think that's an important thing to look at when it comes to privilege, because I don't know what it really feels like to be someone who's a victim of a hate crime. I can, I guess, only sympathize with someone who has. And, you know, those of us who have been a victim of a hate crime, you know, you understand what that feels like. I don't. I don't know what that feels like. And, again, all I can do is really sympathize with the person who has been a victim of a hate crime. And I think it's important when it comes to looking at people who have actually suffered hate crimes, and as well as within the Muslim community to sympathize with those, of course, who have suffered it, but also for those of us who haven't, you know, to sort of understand that there's a difference between us and those who've actually been targeted. And so maybe it's really important for us, especially those of us who've never suffered 
uh, from Islamophobia, who have never been at the, you know, at the, I guess, receiving end of Islamophobia, it's important for us to take a second and understand that when we do have these discussions or ideas, interpretations, or understandings of what Islamophobia is. There's people within communities who've suffered it and those who have it. So what we should try to do and we should do best job of is to make sure that those are the people, or sorry, those people who have actually suffered from Islamophobia, who've actually been targeted, you know, from Islamophobes, are the ones that sort of, uh, you know, lead our uh, interpretations and understandings of what Islamophobia is either within our own communities or within our own countries. You shouldn't talk to someone who doesn't necessarily uh, understand or have ever experienced it. Even within the Muslim community, you'll meet people who will say, oh, Islamophobia isn't that big of a deal. I, I, you know, I've never had it. Well, just because you've never had it to yourself doesn't mean that it hasn't happened to other people. So we should try our best to make sure that when we do talk about it, we do bring out those people who actually have been through it so we can hear their side of the story because they've actually been at the end of Islamophobia. So now that we've reflected on our privilege uh, in terms of whether we've actually been the victim of a hate crime or not, I wanted to switch into the next uh, part in the podcast here to talk about Islamophobia statistics. And there's a lot of statistics that you can focus on uh, to kind of understand Islamophobia. And there's a lot of groups that release statistics on Islamophobia. But I wanted to focus specifically on statistics that were released by Stats Canada. And it was uh, a report that focused on police reported hate crime. And the report itself was released only about a year ago. So it's actually quite recent. So that's also another reason why I wanted to focus on these statistics because of the fact that they're quite recent and they're from a really good, reliable source in Stats Canada. So this report only focuses, as the title suggests, on police-reported hate crime. And there's two important things to remember when we look at stats like this. And the first thing is, is that these are the cases that were reported only to the police. Uh, so they may have been reported to sort of a civil rights group who then brought it to the police, but the police are the ones that ultimately are the ones who reported this. And so that's really important because there's some hate crimes that often happen that don't go to the police. So this, uh, the stats within this report are not the actual final statistics, I should say, when it comes to hate crimes within Canada. They are only those reported to the police. And then secondly, the police are the ones that actually define whether it was a hate crime or not. And it's based on the actions of the perpetrator and not the victim. So it doesn't actually matter who was sort of the victim. What matters is what the perpetrator did. And this is important because what it means is that someone can uh, you know, be a victim of Islamophobia but not actually be Muslim. And so a good example of this is, for example, a, a Sikh who wears a turban might be called uh, you know, an Arab and a, a terrorist or whatnot. But they're not actually Muslim, but it's still Islamophobia because what really matters is the hate, uh, the, you know, the slurs that are used against them, not actually uh, the, um, you know, the person themselves. And that is, uh, I think, a good way of looking at it because of the fact that if you only looked at it by who the actual victim was, you might actually miss some incidents of a hate crime just because, you know, you don't think that the person uh, was the victim in terms of 
they're, uh, you know, the victim actually having the quote-unquote right ethnicity or religion, culture, etc. So that's why it's really important that rather than basing on the victim, it's actually based on the perpetrator. So just going through these statistics, they cover everything from gender, sex, religion, ethnicity. Um, but in general, hate crimes in Canada actually decreased in 2018 compared to 2017. But from 2016 to 2018, there has been an increase in hate crimes within Canada. So based on 2016, 2017, 2018, there has been an increase, although there was a decrease compared to 2018 and 2017. But in relation to Islamophobia, in 2016, there was about 140 hate crimes that were reported, which spiked to actually 350 crimes in 2017, but then eventually fell back to 173 in 2018. But still, what we see is that from 2016 to 2018, there was still an increase. There was 140 hate crimes in 2016, but there was 173 in 2018. So regardless of the fact, there was an increase. I think the biggest thing of worry here, though, is that in 2017, there was 350 crimes that were reported, so almost doubled from what 2016 was. And what's even worrying, or I think more worrying, sorry, is that 2017 was, of course, the year that the Quebec mosque shooting happened. And so the question that comes to my mind is, did the spikes occur because of the mosque shooting? And I think this is a really important question to ask because it makes you wonder that if there are major hate crimes that occur, does that now mean that you're going to start seeing these minor hate crimes also occur? And I think that if that is true, that this really makes it important because it kind of says two main things. In that number one, hate crimes, or at least these general big hate crimes like Quebec or London, will lead to smaller crimes being committed. And what I mean by smaller crimes is, you know, not the hate crimes where someone goes and targets a mosque, but more or less where someone goes and tries to intimidate a Muslim or someone goes and, you know, uh, will say derogatory words towards Muslims. That sort of hate crimes will actually occur because of these big events. So sort of these big events encourage others to go and commit. Uh, Islamophobic hate crimes. And then secondly, and I think this is also important, that many Muslims may face hate crimes that go largely underreported. And I would sort of say this because of the fact of how in 2016, you had almost basically double. So in 2016, there was 140 hate crimes committed against Muslims. In 2017, it goes to 350. And I'm not good at math. I'm just going to say this straight up, but I'm pretty sure 350 is more than double 140. How, where did all these hate crimes come from? Where? And, and then even in 2018, it still only fell to 173. So even if you say that, you know, people, I don't know, stopped, quote unquote, committing them, it didn't go back to 140. It still is at 173 in 2018. You know, where did they come from? You know, maybe the real reality is they've always been there. You just didn't bother to report them. And it makes sense. Right? 2017, that whole year, right, the Quebec mosque shooting was one of the worst tragedies that happened in Canada. People cared that year. People were thinking about Islamophobia that year. And all of a sudden, in the year where people care and are actually talking about Islamophobia, then hate crimes just goes up. And then the year after, they still don't go down, 
They're still at 173, but still the 2017 spike kind of shows that when people cared and bothered to record Islamophobic attacks, it went up to 350. That, that's a big jump. And it really tells me that there might be some degree where a lot of these Islamophobic attacks go largely underreported because people, either Muslims or uh, just police officers or just those who kind of record these as hate crimes, don't bother to record them as hate crimes. And I think that this is a really a big kind of point here because we've actually started to see the same sort of trend that I'm talking about here when it comes to Islamophobic attacks happening in the wake of a major hate crime. And, you know, I think to first start this off, we should really look at the three main attacks that have happened against Muslims, you know, in the past few years. Of course, we have London here in Canada, uh, you know, New Zealand, and then Quebec City. And all three of them, you know, are, of course, very tragic events that we can't really forget. And we shouldn't let them be forgotten either. You know, there's a lot of people that really did forget about Quebec City and they've forgotten about New Zealand. And, you know, even in London, uh, you know, the London attack, now here in Canada, people just don't talk about it anymore. It's just, it's not a big topic anymore. It's basically Muslims and Muslim advocacy groups that keep pointing at the government saying, hey, remember this, remember this. And, and it's also because there's other issues that keep popping up. Yes, but, you know, you would think that especially in Canada where we've had both London and Quebec City attacks, you would think that politicians might start to think, hey, you know, maybe this is something I should focus on. And I'll get into this more later, but we have to make sure that these attacks are never forgotten about. You know, even if the media stops to cover them, we shouldn't stop covering it. And, you know, to me, I think one of the important things to ensure that uh, these things aren't forgotten about is to make sure that when you do hear about, you know, a, a Islamophobic attack occurring, either through social media or on the news, you should share it with other people. And the reason is, is because that'll make sure, at least to some degree, that people, maybe not politicians, but maybe people in a community are informed of what's going on within that community. And why this is important is because I went through the National Council of Canadian Muslims uh, Instagram page. On their Instagram page, they usually post when a hate crime has occurred. And they, I put it on Twitter, on probably Facebook as well. And on Instagram, but I found them on Instagram because I have Instagram. Uh, but on Instagram, when they do in fact report or report these, uh, I went through their page and, and I counted about seven to ten attacks, give or take, because some of the attacks weren't as maybe serious as others. Some, a uh, few of them actually involved people being physically attacked. Others didn't. But regardless, they're still Islamophobic attacks. And I've counted about seven to ten attacks since June seventh when the London terror attack happened in Canada. So since June 7th, there's been about 7 to 10 attacks since that major attack. So what we're seeing is, number one, the same thing we saw in 2017 when I talked about the spike in Islamophobic hate crimes. It's the same thing that is happening, where after a major hate crime, all of a sudden there's this influx of all these minor attacks against Muslims, or threats, etc., against Muslims. But then number two uh, is that, 
you know, as Muslims, when we see these sort of things pop up on our social media feeds, especially those of us who have Instagram or Twitter and those of us who are younger Muslims as well, who are more, you know, uh, I guess, used to social media, we need to start sharing this stuff. You know, not just the London terror attack. Don't just share, you know, hashtag our London family. And of course, yes, our London family and the London terror attack, we, we should obviously share that. But when you even see something as minor as, you know, someone was called a terrorist on the subway and you see, you know, the National Council of Canadian Muslims post about that, or you see another, you know, anti-hate group post about that, or, you know, CBC post about that, share it. You need to share it. You need to share it so that other people who are not Muslims see that Muslims don't just get attacked in these major attacks where, you know, someone attacks a mosque, but people also see that people will attack Muslims when we're just being Muslim on the side on the sidewalk or we're just minding our own business. You know, like some of these ones that I found, for example, there was this one that I read about that happened in Vancouver where a teenager was attacked at a Vancouver bus stop, just randomly. They were just attacked. They were doing nothing, just standing there, and they were attacked. And there's a few others I actually found that happened in London, of all places. The very place where a terror attack occurred is the same place where other Islamophobic attacks were occurring as well. Right? So those people that say stuff like, oh, you know, it was just a one-off. Uh, how is it a one-off if it keeps happening in the same damn city? It's not much of a one-off to me. And then on the other hand, you know, there's this other one that I found that was actually a, a school employee with Wilfrid Laurier University. And that's a university uh, in the Waterloo region uh, here in Ontario. Uh, this uh, employee was a, uh, I don't know uh, if, I don't know how to phrase this, I guess, but the employee uh, basically was sharing these posts calling a lot of Muslims, you know, jihadis and, you know, terrorists and encouraging people to sort of boycott Muslim businesses and essentially just spreading Islamophobic messages. You know, how many of you knew that? How many of you knew that there was a Wilfrid Laurie employee of a university, of a publicly funded university, might I add, that was sharing these sort of Islamophobic messages? Not many of us, because we don't spread that information when it happens. I feel like a lot of Muslims just don't talk about it with each other. They sort of either keep it to themselves or, you know, they kind of share it within a group, but they don't get it out there. Now, I also want to clarify that the Wilfrid Laurier employee was fired, or at least he was let go. I don't know if he was exactly fired, but he was let go and he apparently doesn't work with the school anymore, which is good. I mean, he shouldn't. Uh, why would uh, why should a, a school employee of a publicly funded university again? Why should that employee be allowed to share Islamophobic messages? It's just unacceptable for them to be doing that. And then a, a last thing here, and, and this is you know one thing that's sort of intersecting with race as well, is that if you go through and look at many of the attacks that you know the National Council of Canadian Muslims has reported on, uh, and uh, many other sources in the news, etc., have reported on is that many times they're either targeting people who are of a certain race, and so usually black women, black Muslim women, have generally been those that have been attacked. You know, black Muslim women have consistently been attacked either in areas, uh, you know, out west or even east in Canada. People have attacked black Muslim women, right? And it's largely because of the fact that, you know, they're Muslim because they're wearing the hijab, but also because they were black. So there's a, even an intersection with race here, 
You know, it's not just Muslims. It's, you know, Muslims of a certain race as well. And then they also target Muslims, you know, that have visualizations of Islam, right? Those that wear the hijab or those that have a long beard. And, and you know, these things are important so we can get that message out there. That it's not just, you know, oh, we were in a mosque and we were attacked. And of course, I'm not, you know, trying to diminish what happened in any of the mosques. Obviously not. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that when people say, you know, Islamophobia, what is it? These are the kind of stories you have to share. You know, they have to know that even as a, as a Muslim woman, you know, and the Muslim women are often the ones that are attacked, right? Muslim women who wear the hijab have often been the ones that are attacked. And, and in cowardly ways, might I add. You know, they're just minding their own business and they get attacked. For what? For wearing a piece of cloth? That's unacceptable. You know, or a Muslim man who has a long beard. How do you even target someone with a long beard? What did a person with a long beard do? Nothing. They just had a long beard. But they get attacked because they're Muslim. You know, as a Muslim man then, does that mean that I shouldn't grow a long beard? Like if I grow my beard too long, does that put me at risk for being attacked? That's the kind of thing. That, you know, someone who doesn't understand Islamophobia, when you tell them that, when you show them, these are the kind of things that I have to second guess myself, you give them the intersection to understand, wow, this is what Muslims deal with when it comes to Islamophobia. It's not just, oh, a mosque was attacked, just protect the mosque. No, it's not just protect the mosques. It's, you know, protect us so we can, uh, we can be allowed to grow a beard. Why shouldn't I be allowed to grow a beard? You know, what's wrong with that? Why shouldn't a Muslim woman be allowed to wear a hijab. Those are the kind of things we need to emphasize that are part of Islamophobia as well. The final part here now that I wanted to talk about was what we do. And, you know, not just sharing posts, which again is important, but reporting on hate crimes is basically, I think to kind of sum this up, the most important thing we can do when it comes to countering Islamophobia. Now, I will also say that, you know, Reporting on hate crimes can be difficult for some people, and I'm not trying to diminish anyone who's not reported on one. I understand, or at least, sorry, I sympathize with those who choose not to report a hate crime. Obviously, it, it's a very personal choice, and it's a very difficult one as well, because it often means that you have to sort of, you know, uh, you have to recount what happened. You have to go on record in the police. You have to, you know, go through a whole bunch of procedures that some people, you know, just they don't want to for whatever reason. And I, I respect that. But I will say this again, and I urge people that if you are the victim of a hate crime, especially with an Islamophobic hate crime, please do think about going to the police. And if maybe not the police, you can always go to the National Council of Canadian Muslims. They have, uh, you know, they have resources to help when it comes to reporting hate crimes to make it easier for you if you want to, because it's really, really important that we make sure that we are reporting on hate crimes because ultimately when it comes down to uh, you know the statistics of these hate crimes they make a lot of policy decisions for example uh, the statistics that I brought up earlier with Stats Canada any politician that goes to look at those statistics will take them to be def uh, the definitive answer in terms of what is happening within Canada I, I know they're not because they're only police reported but a politician might. And so then the problem becomes that hate crimes against Muslims may be occurring, we're just not reporting them enough. And so once we don't report them enough, we don't actually get the benefit of people actually knowing how much Islamophobia might exist within Canada. 
it also makes it easier for a lot of uh, policy groups and for civil liberty groups like the National Council of Canadian Muslims or um, you know the anti-hate network. It makes it easier for them to tell politicians, hey, this is happening within Canada, please do something about it. So again, I, I, I implore people, if they are the victim of a hate crime, please go reach out, you know, talk to people near you and do report them. It's very, very important uh, that we do report them so we can make sure that people uh, understand what we go through with Islamophobia and how much it might be affecting Muslim lives. Now, the second thing that I wanted to talk about was participating in government surveys. And I know this is kind of random, um, but, you know, a, a few months back, my family completed the uh, Canadian census. And the Canadian census essentially just asks you, like, a bunch of questions about, you know, what's your background, um, you know, what, uh, what, where are you from, what language do you speak, what's your religion, etc., etc., etc. You know, it seems like a very basic amount of questions, but... My dad pointed out to me something really interesting. When we were filling out what language we spoke, he told me to fill it out that we spoke Urdu as our main language. And like Urdu is our, our main language and that we are Urdu speakers. But for me personally, I speak English more than I speak Urdu. So I thought when it said to, you know, the first language or the language you speak, I thought I should put English. But he said that, no, you should put Urdu because then the next time when the government looks at the census and it tries to find where the Urdu speakers are, it'll see that, you know, we're Urdu speakers. And so when it tries to understand what kind of different uh, varieties of people live in Canada, it won't categorize me as an English speaker. It'll categorize me as an Urdu speaker. And I think the same thing applies to Muslims. I think one of the problems is that when it comes to the, things like the census, Muslims do not represent themselves and they don't bother to fill it out properly and to say that, hey, you know, I'm a Muslim and I live here. And why that's important is because oftentimes people think that, you know, hate crimes or whatnot only happen in certain areas or parts of the country, especially since in Canada, a lot of the population is sort of congested in certain areas of the country. A lot of people think that the hate crimes only happen in sort of these areas. You know, Toronto is often seen as a place where a lot of hate crimes happen because it's the urban area. There's a lot more people. But you look at London, right? A hate crime happened in London. London isn't a small city, but it's not a big city either. And it's way out west from on, uh, from Toronto. It's, it's not near some major metropolitan area. You know, it's sort of just over to the side there. But that's where the hate crime happened. And a lot of hate crimes, even if you look at those that are being reported, aren't happening in just urban areas. They're happening in areas that are not urban either. And so going on a census and saying to the government, hey, I'm a Muslim and I live here, gives the government a better understanding of where Muslims actually live. And so when it comes to something like, for example, anti-Islamophobic training or anti-Islamophobic programs, they know that I shouldn't just send it to areas like Quebec or Montreal or Toronto or Calgary, but hey, look at this. There's this really big Muslim population that lives in, I don't know, Niagara. And you know what? If there's rising Islamophobia happening throughout the country, I should probably help those in Niagara too because they're also Muslim and they could be the recipients of Islamophobic attacks. That's why you fill out the census. It can help. It'll help in the long term. So the next time you see something like a government survey uh, or a government census, uh, you know, those that are given by the actual government of Canada, 
you should try to fill them out because that way the government will know where we live uh, in you know uh, in terms of just the statistics wise not in you know in terms of NSA wise uh, but just so that they can understand where to sort of deploy those programs to prevent Islamophobia in the future. And now the last point that I wanted to talk about was holding MPs and elected officials accountable. And this to me is really important uh, when it comes to reporting on hate crimes because, you know, there's a lot of people that, in my opinion, within the Canadian government that seem to have some very, um, how shall I say, problematic attitudes when it comes to addressing uh, Islamophobia. And I found this interview from uh, Amira Al-Ghawabi, I think that's how you pronounce it, of the Canadian Anti-Hate Network. And Amira is a very famous journalist uh, who has covered Islamophobia. She used to work with the National Council of Canadian Muslims. Uh, and essentially, you know, she was doing an interview with Global News, and she had this quote where, uh, I'm going to paraphrase here, but she essentially said, you know, a lot of members of the government still question whether Islamophobia exists. You know, and it really caught my attention because it started getting me to think, like, how many of them still question it, right? You know, after Quebec, uh, there was many that still did. And, you know, the excuse was always, oh, you know, it was a one-off, it was a one-off. But, you know, after London, what are you going to say now? What are you going to say now? You know, we already talked about this in a previous episode, you know, Muslims under scrutiny, where there were people that still scrutinized Muslims, even though... Uh, you know, we were the recipients of a terror attack. They still questioned us like we were the, you know, we were the perpetrators. And and it really made me think about MPs and, you know, their responses to it. And of course, you know, for the most part, a, a lot of them you saw uh, were uh, tweeting out, um, you know, that, oh, it was so tragic. It was terrible. You know, uh, they were sending their heartfelt condolences uh, to, uh, you know, the victims. That's just, you know, stereotypical politician uh, BS. That's just what politicians do. Um, but really looking at a lot of their sort of track records obviously speaks otherwise. And the thing that stands out the most is that many of the MPs that were speaking out, especially on the conservative and the Bloc Quebecois side of the political spectrum, many of them were the same MPs who voted against what was called Motion 103. And Motion 103 was pushed by uh, the Liberal Party in Canada, to basically denounce Islamophobia in, in the wake of, I believe it was a Quebec mosque shooting. And so essentially it was saying, you know, uh, the parliament would denounce Islamophobia, that they were uh, against all forms of Islamophobia, etc., etc., etc. I mean, there was more to it, but I'm not going to get into all of it. The point is, is that the bill passed, uh, and all members of the left Liberal and left NDP parties, they both supported Motion 103. However, a majority of conservative MPs and the entire Bloc Québécois party, which is a Quebec nationalist party within Canada, they all voted against the motion. They all con they all voted against a motion that was going to condemn Islamophobia in the wake of the Quebec mosque shooting. It, it was it's it's just crazy to say that out loud, but it's what happened. And among those who voted uh, against the non-binding resolution that was Motion 103, uh, it included the current federal conservative leader, Aaron O'Toole, 
kind of said about how he condemns all forms of Islamophobia uh, from the London attack, and he released a video saying how he was against Islamophobia. But it's weird that you say that now, but a few years ago, uh, apparently you were against a motion that was condemning it, so so now you're for it, but before you were against it? Um, kind of weird. In addition, the current People's Party leader, Maxime Bernier, uh, who actually went as far to say that it was a freedom of speech issue, so apparently being Islamophobic is a freedom of speech issue. Really weird. Um, it also included former federal conservative leader Andrew Scheer. So not only is the current conservative leader have voted against it, but the previous conservative leader also voted against it. And in addition, there was many other prominent conservative MPs uh, that voted against uh, condemning Islamophobia in 2017. Regardless of the fact, the point that I'm making here is that these MPs need to be held accountable for how they acted previously. Because a lot of their talk is really just, you know, BS. It really is, right? Like, if they really cared about Islamophobia, they would have voted against it back then. They didn't. Now they are because, what, there's more media attention towards it, it's harder to deny it. I mean, just going back and looking at some of the excuses that some of them uh, said, uh, you know, many of them said that it was a freedom of speech issue, that, you know, you shouldn't uh, restrict how people can talk about certain things. Who's restricting what? We're just saying that Islamophobia is bad. How is that restricting anything, right? And, you know, some people might say, oh, there were specific things within the motion. Okay, fine. Um, but even then, still, that doesn't necessarily have to do with freedom of speech. It doesn't, right? Freedom of speech is just an, is an excuse they're using to say that I should be allowed to be Islamophobic. And then on the other hand, there were some people that said, <laughs> this, is, this is one of the weirder ones, and maybe one of the funnier ones, uh, but they said that essentially they were voting against the motion because of the fact that the motion was only talking about Muslims when it should really restrict all sort of, you know, phobias against any religion, either they're, you know, Hindu or Christian, Sikh, whatever, right? And I mean, I don't understand where the argument's trying to go. I, I don't. Like the bill, the, or sorry, the motion, sorry, it wasn't a, a law, it was just a motion, it was just trying to say that you shouldn't be Islamophobic. Like, that's bad, right? It didn't say anything like, oh, it's okay to be Hindu-phobic, though. Oh, it's okay if you hate Jewish people. Oh, it's okay if you, you know, you hate Sikhs. Where did it say that? Just because you vote for something that says that, you know, Islamophobia is bad does not mean, right, that does not mean that all of a sudden you're saying that all these other things are okay, if you really cared about something like that, then when after you pass the Islamophobia motion, you can just pass other motions saying the same things about Christianity, about Judaism, about Sikhism, Hinduism, who cares? You can pass all that, right? Because the thing isn't about them not wanting to pass these motions. The point is they just didn't want to pass the motion that just said that Islamophobia was wrong. That's the point. It has nothing to do with all this other stuff. All that other stuff is just smoke screens. Just smoke screens. But those MPs that voted against that, they need to be held accountable as well. And when, you know, we need to pay attention to those MPs that act like that, because, you know, a lot of them, again, are still within the Conservative Party today. 
And for those of you who haven't been keeping up with what's going on in Canadian politics, there may or may not be an election soon. So it is extremely crucial that not only do we watch out for what certain MPs are saying, but it's also extremely crucial that we maintain that those who might say things that are Islamophobic or who might be very negligent when it comes to dealing with Islamophobia are held accountable. So I think that's a good place to end today's episode. Uh, Thank you guys again for listening. I always appreciate the support. I hope that this episode was at least informative about Islamophobia and sort of not only the rise in cases, but also how Islamophobia is happening and sort of what actions we can take uh, to counter uh, the rise of Islamophobia. Or, or again, as you might want to say, the rise of the reporting of Islamophobia, because Islamophobia has always sort of existed. People just didn't care before to report on it. Now, that being said, uh, again, I wanted to thank you guys for listening to today's episode. Uh, If you did enjoy today's episode, please leave a five-star review. Uh, I always appreciate the support, and it also helps me just make more episodes. And if you did enjoy today's episode, please uh, share it with others. Uh, If you enjoyed it, I'm sure someone else will as well. And if you can as well, please go find me on Instagram. It's just Muslims in Your Backyard. Uh, I will be posting episode updates and some other posts as well uh, related to Islam and Muslims on the Instagram page. So please go check it out. It's Muslims in Your Backyard. Um, But either than that, uh, again, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Uh, And inshallah and alafis, we'll meet again.